0: Hey, everybody. Good morning. Um, Just to clear one thing up right out of the gate, uh, the missing verse to that first song that was me. That was on me. It was my fault. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah. People didn't (laughs) just lose interest, and stop singing. They didn't have the words because I printed the wrong words. So, um, welcome to week one. Um, Welcome to week one, both here at Mills Pro and week one of this year's Advent season. Um, as we've talked about already in the service event, is a time each year when we do a lot of changes. We re- get, recreate our service space and we reshape our practices on Sunday mornings. And the purpose of a lot of this is to, is to cultivate a spirit of rest and a spirit of reflection, and then also, most importantly, a spirit of participation in a worship service. So in terms of the environment, we make a lot of changes. This year we made uh, a really big change because <laughs> it's a totally different space. Um, and also you're much more likely Wide. I'm used to – we were meeting in a theater where everybody was, like, right here. So I'm going to be, like, pivoting. So – but that's, that's good. So we change our environment. Um, in terms of our worship, we take away um, the screens, which we usually use if you're visiting with us this morning. We usually have all the words on the screen so that I can't mess things up in the way that I already did. But we take that away um, because – well, because we want to, to give people a chance to – read and to hold on to something, to touch something tangibly that they can engage with. And then in terms of our liturgy, which is like the the pieces and parts of our worship service, um, we also make changes in order to participate with other Christian churches around the world um, in some of the more traditional practices of the church. And we do that because we want to join them in meditating on the hopeful expectation that the Christmas season invites us to experience each year. And so, although this is a new week and we're figuring out a lot of things, the hope is that this week, next week, the week after, this is a time when we can engage uh, with what a church service is and with what worship is in a new and different way throughout the season. Now, all of this is important because of the season. We're in the Advent season, the season leading up to Christmas. And if this is new to you, Advent is, by definition, a season of waiting. It begins... Sundays before Christmas Day, and then each of those Sundays is oriented around an anchoring emotion that Jesus' birth has elicited in his people. There are four, and those emotions are hope, love, joy, and peace. And we spend time talking about and singing about these emotions during these four weeks because, well, for we're honest, right, feeling those emotions consistently, maybe even particularly in this season, can be difficult. It's easy to get swept away throughout the year in stresses and difficulties of our lives. We all know this. You've probably heard people talk and preachers talk about that kind of thing before. But for 2,000 years now, Christians have set this season aside to be intentional about the ways that we foster these Jesus not just in private devotion or in prayer, but in the context of a loving community. And so that's really what we're here to do this month. We want to feel Jesus' feelings. Hope, love, joy, and peace. And we want to feel them not alone. We want to feel them together. So this morning, our focus is on hope. And we'll see over the next few weeks that each of these emotions is tricky in its own way. But I would contend that hope is tricky because more so than any of the others, hope has to do with time. And time is the one thing that we all know we're losing. Now, if I could summarize the point this morning in a single sentence, that was not great. (laughs) I'm still gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna summarize the point in a single sentence. It's this, that losing time doesn't mean that time is running out. Losing time doesn't mean that time is running out. One of the hard things about preaching through the Advent season is that, frankly, I know that all of you have heard most everything that I had to say over the next three weeks before. There's nothing new about a sermon on hope. There's probably not a fun twist that I can put on this to make it surprise you in some kind of way. But, Perhaps that's not what we need, right? Perhaps what we need is to feel the thing that we already know. Our scripture today is going to come from the letter to the Hebrews, but before we get there, I want to start with an illustration. Do any of you remember the game Plinko? Oh, wow. You guys got very excited about Plinko. Good. Plinko was a segment on a show that you would have no reason to remember existed, called the Pisces, right? And contestants in Plinko would stand on a platform above – and I might be. I did not actually Google this to make sure I'm getting this right, so what you're hearing right now is a pure memory. This is how I have reconstructed it in my, in my imagination. But my memory is that contestants would stand up, up on this platform right above this big board, and the board was covered in all these little pegs. And then they would drop something that in my memory looked a lot like a hockey puck. Is that – yeah. are we all together? Yeah. Good. Um, and they would drop it into a slot at the top, and they'd want you to kind of plink, plink through these pegs to the bottom. And at the bottom, there were these slots, and those slots guaranteed various prizes, and one of those prizes was usually a car. Are we on the same page? Yes. yes. Right. Good. All right. Anyway, the drama in the game Plinko has to do with how unpredictable the path of that puck is bound to be. The pegs send it in random directions with every hit, so the outcome is ultimately uncontrollable, and you know this. You know this, but still, every contestant wants to believe that there is some right way to play the game, right? And so you watch them trying to anticipate the way that things going to bounce and plank and go down from the starting slot. And then you watch them watch each other, right, and try to improve on the other players' choices. So somebody will put it here and it'll end up two to the, the right of the car, and they'll be like, oh, I got it. I'll just drop it in two to the right of the way that they did. Car's is guaranteed. But it doesn't work, right? Almost never does. Does the, the puck actually end up giving them a car? Now, my question for you, the silly illustration, is when is the player's hope the greatest? When is their hope the greatest? Well, it's at the very beginning, right? Anything can happen. In fact, they think they know what's going to happen. But what happens to hope as that, pluck, as that puck starts bouncing down between the pegs? You get. Begin- the dramas and scenes on their faces. With every turn, every little plink away from the grand prize, their hope starts to fade. Now this is an illustration of time, of time. When the world is full of seemingly endless and infinite possibilities, it is easy for us to imagine the way that things are supposed to go. But as we move through our lives, and plink by plink, bounce by bounce, It is easy for us to notice that usually we're moving further and further away from that free car, and it is increasingly hard to imagine how, with less and less time left, we're ever going to be able to get back to where we thought we were going to go. Now, our church here is pretty young as far as churches tend to go. I haven't actually done the math on this either, but I would assume that our median age is pretty close to mine. I'm 41. But here's the thing, right? We're all older than we used to be. And that means that over the last decade or so that was I didn't know that was a joke. Right. We're all older than we used to be, and that means that over the last decade or so we have all seen a lot of bounces down the Plinko board of our lives. And for some of you, like I know that those bounces have seemed Like they are going the wrong way. And that is especially true lately. And that there's always less and less of this board left, and hope is beginning to fade. Now, what you're expecting me to say is, but it doesn't have to. And I will say that. But I actually want to pause for a minute and sit with this for a moment. Because I think you have to. It is okay for us as a family of people to share things that are hard. It is okay for us to share things that are disappointing, things that are even heartbreaking. In my position here, right, I end up seeing a lot of that, even in a small community like this. There are folks in this room whose health is deteriorating. And I want you to know that I'm sorry. And there are also folks who are not in this room this morning because their health is deteriorating. There are marriages and families in our church that seem to be bouncing further and further from where the people in them had hoped that they would go. And there are no easy answers in a 20-minute sermon that are going to fix that. There are no quick comforts for that pain. Some of you have big surgeries on the horizon coming up in the next few weeks. Some of you are right now in the middle of grief. And the best thing that I can stand up here and say is that I am so, so sorry. All of us need to hear that we can be broken in this church. Hope is coming. I'll talk about it, But you do not have to fake being excited about it. Every bounce down this board, right, that takes you further from your plan sucks. And we are not here to minimize that or try and cheat our grief. Putting on a smile is not what hope is about. This is what hope is about. There's more board left. Losing time doesn't mean that time running out. The scripture that I want us to look at today comes from the letter to the Hebrews. And this letter, was written by an anonymous author, is addressed to early Christians who have become obsessed with time. And although they have seen the gospel in their lifetimes begin to spread throughout the world, they have not experienced the kind of victory that they were expecting when Christ rose from the dead. The Roman Empire has not been replaced by a heavenly kingdom where Jesus is king. Jesus hasn't descended down from a cloud to bring justice to the oppressed as they expected him to. And instead, what the people in this time are doing is they are just merely enduring in tiny, little, and persecuted communities that are scattered in cities and towns all over the Mediterranean world. money is tight for them. They are scorned and they are mocked by their neighbors, and hope is fading. So to people in this circumstance, what does the author say? He or she says something surprising. They write, when God made a promise to Abraham, because he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently endured, obtained the promise. Humans, of course, swear by someone greater than themselves. And an oath given as confirmation puts an end to all dispute among them. And in the same way, when God desired to show even more clearly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it by an oath. So that through two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible that God would prove false, we who have taken refuge might be strongly encouraged to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain, where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered. Having become a high priest forever. Everybody that the author is writing to knows the story of Abraham. You might know it too. Abraham waited until he was about 90 years old before his son, an heir to the promise, Isaac, was born. The Abraham story is a story about patience and trust in God's promises even when it seems like there is no way that that promise can still come into being. But that's. I'm sorry. Abraham's story is a story of patience and trust, and his reference to it here might lead us to believe that the author's point is going to be to say something similar to his readers, right? Like Abraham waited ninety years; you can keep waiting; it's all going to work out. Be patient. What I find interesting about the passage is that that's not at all what the author actually says. Instead of focusing on Abraham's resilience, right, Abraham's ability to continue to wait even when things are hard, they point out something else. They point out that God swears to Abraham on himself. And swearing on God is the most serious promise, the author says, that a person can make. You swear on God and you put an end to all dispute. And so the author says… For God to swear on God is a kind of double swear and a double swear on unchangeable things. It's a swear on God's name and also a swear in God's voice. And so the point author seems to want us to see is that this promise God makes, he makes in a way that is inescapably excessive and unnecessary. God doesn't need to double swear on himself. And so, what the author is encouraging the, reader, her, the hearers to do is to ponder, why? Why does God do this? And I would contend the answer is because the point, the point the author is saying isn't the free car at the bottom of the Plinko board. The point is, they say, the unchangeable character of God's purpose. The unchangeable character of God's purpose. When that Like Puck, right, slips further and further away. It is tempting for us to believe that that means that somehow God is losing control. But it's not God losing control that leads things to go astray. It's not bad luck that leads things to go astray. It's not even always a bad plan. What it is is the reality of brokenness in us and in the world. It sucks. It's grief. But the place our hope comes from isn't the ultimate purpose of what God says that he will do. Our hope doesn't come from the free car or imagining this outcome. If that was true, if that's the only place you could find hope was in things going the way we want them to, then we're all going to die waiting and without a moment of joy. If getting the free car Right, which in our faith is what? Eternal life? If that's the thing, if that's the only thing that matters, if getting eternal life is the only moment when you're going to feel happy, then you're going to spend most of this game miserable. No. The author is saying our hope comes not from the outcome of the story. Our hope comes from the unchangeable character of God. The same God that sought Abraham out and loved him And made a promise to him, right? The same God that was sovereign and present and generous and kind to Abraham when he was 50, and when he was 60, and when he was 70, and when he was 80. The God who was always near, and the God who had double sworn on himself, who had double sworn that something better than just an outcome, just a free car at the end of the story, is what matters. Now, the ceiling of Abraham's imagination right, for God's promise was a child who would have more children. That's how he understood the thing God had, had promised him. Right, That was his free card. God's going to give me kids. That was the height of his sense of what God was up to. But what we know is that God's story, which began with Abraham, led so far past him just having more kids. And that the board that Abraham had an imagination for reached so much further down than those prizes that Abraham was aiming at. That letter to the Hebrews says, we have this hope, right? The sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered, having become a high priest forever. Isaac isn't the free car for Abraham, right? Jesus turns out to be. And not just Jesus as a baby or even Jesus as a Messiah, but Jesus as an anchor of the soul who has entered into the very presence of God to forgive sin and offer life for everyone. Jesus the high priest. Jesus whose life, the author of Hebrews says in the next passage, proved indestructible. In other words, in other words, The goal, the thing that actually comes for Abraham, the the ultimate end of the game, right, is a Jesus who has descended past the bottom of this board, past the birth of Isaac, and has descended to a point where he can seize eternity itself and turn all of those pegs that fill life with so much chaos into smooth paths, right, that all lead to one and only one place, and that's him. I know that's gotten a little complicated, but my point is this, don't have to rush hope because the end of the board as you see it isn't the end of the story. As a community, we don't have to try and smooth over hardships or feel embarrassed by our grief because time is not actually running out. So because we know that the end of this story is secure, No matter how panicked we might feel, we have the freedom to actually pause and sit with each other, to cry with each other, to to waste time repenting and forgiving. And we can do that because we're not in any real hurry. My hope, our hope, isn't a destination. Our hope is a person. And that person is not just in charge of the outcome. He is also near to us all along through the whole journey. He has chosen suffering himself for one and only one reason, which is because it brings him closer to you. And he has double sworn on himself that the end of all of this isn't just (coughs) safe. The end of all of this is heaven, which is all a way of trying to say that our hope isn't threatened by our sadness. Our hope is an anchor and a refuge in our soul. And losing time doesn't mean that time for God is running out. And because of this, because we know that we have time, we are free to see and to feel the hard things that folks who only see the bottom of the board always have to rush or fear. Christians have the freedom to sit with grief and hardship in a way that is a gift and a privilege for us. We are never alone, no matter how far off the path it seems like we are. And for a God who has defeated death, there is no distance from either the goal or from the end that can't be overcome. It doesn't matter how far you've away. delayed. There's always time for Him to bring you back where He wants you to be. Our hope is in this unchangeable character of His purpose to bring us back to Himself. It abides deep inside us no matter what storms we're facing. So the opportunity of Advent, right? the opportunity of this morning is to pause and to sense it. Can we use this moment to feel a hope that isn't bound or isn't limited by just trying to to get what we want or even get what we think God wants for us. This is the invitation the Advent season offers. May we learn to wait, not just with patience, but with peace. It can only be found in the places where our hope meets our trust. I'll pray for us and we'll continue in worship this morning.